With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is the third place trophy leader in Dominaria draft, Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how's it going? Then you can't say my real name. You have to refer to me as Lord Tupperware. If, if the people knew my true identity, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to protect them anymore. That's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? How are you this week? I'm doing well. It was so good to be back on the internet streaming. Finally, all these people stopped bugging me about when's Ben coming back? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you, your grand return to Twitch. Yeah, it was, I could not believe that people were still subscribed to my channel. It was great having you Skype in. I forgot how fun it was. Like I hadn't streamed in like a month. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah we were, we we're all happy to have you back. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, many more to come. Awesome. Well, so that means that you maybe did more than one and a half drafts this week? I did. Not a ton because I was planning our marching band show, but I, I got a few drafts squeaked in there. So I am now up to 29 drafts, eight trophies, a 51 and 32 overall record, and I'm over 60% now. I have a 61% win rate. So slowly climbing back up there. That's great. That's great. Uh, I am continuing my degeneracy. I'm up to 104 drafts. Is that right? That's right. We've cracked 100 drafts. 32 trophies. I am in third place, as you said. Uh, 209 to 95 win-loss record, keeping that 69% win rate steady. You are crushing it. Yeah, I don't know. This this format is uh, playing to my tendencies or something in a format where divination is good. Feels like uh, I'm gonna gonna do well, maybe. But yeah, I've been been enjoying it. And we're gonna share some more tips and 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 tricks for you this week on the podcast to get you strapped in for some more three O's. But before we do that gotta talk about our patreon that's right we do have a patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited where you as a listener have the opportunity to give back to the show if you so choose the show will always be free uh, but we try to give some perks and it's wonderful to have people show their financial support to us as well uh the base level is the lords of limited discord this is the place to be to talk about limited content you want to look at some draft logs you want to look at some what's the plays you want to talk about where we're at in terms of ranking removal we are getting into the nittiest of the grittiest in the lords of limited discord so if you are an addict that is where you want to be uh we also have some some perks for some higher tier donations uh you get access to our show notes which are often very very detailed really nice to have like a written form copy of the episode that you hear each week uh you also get access to a little pre-show recording get some behind the scenes 
hear us plan out the episode. And of course, we want to make sure that we shout out any new patrons each and every week. So this week, we want to welcome Michael, Josh, Tor, Charles, Mike, Thomas, and Daniel. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate your support. Yes, cannot say thank you enough. It is awesome to see the Lords of Illuminated community growing. I feel like we've got a community, and it's great. We have a real community, yeah. It's uh, it's out in full force. All right, so do we have a roundtable we can look at this week to maybe springboard some of the discussions we're going to have? We do. This is another one of my drafts. We're going to hop in here if you're ready to take a seat. Oh, I'm already sitting down, baby. All right, so pack one, pick one. You see the following options. You got three cards to choose from here. Bayloth Gorger, two green green for the 4-4 with kicker four. If you kick it, it comes into play with three plus one plus one counters on it. Wrath Capuchin, my favorite card in the format, two blue (laughs) white for a 3-3 flash flyer. And when it's on the battlefield, you may cast other cards that are historic as though they had flash. And Yogmoth's Vile Offering, four black for the legendary sorcery. Return target creature or planeswalker from a graveyard to play on your side of the battlefield and destroy target creature or planeswalker. Yeah, this pack is pretty straightforward, I think. So Wrath Capuchin is super strong, and even though I don't love taking double-colored cards in this format first because the fixing is sparse, I will make an exception for Wrath each and every time he's in the pack, uh, and I would snap that up here. Yeah, that is what I'm on as well. I have a firm no-passing Wrath Capuchin policy now because I want to be blue-white more than any other color pair in the format. Are there any other of the uncommon multicolored cards that you would take first and be pretty happy with? I think probably Adelie's mm-hmm. and Slimefoot. I'm trying yeah. to think through the others. I think that's it. I think Tatiova is oh, probably Tatiova also on that for list. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think my ranking would go like Raph, Tatiova, Slimefoot, then Adelie's, just because I've had a little less luck than some other people with wizards, but I recognize that Adelie's is great. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're all strong. I think you rarely have the choice between them. Anyway, but we're cruising with Raph here. Cruising with Raph. On to pack one, pick two. You see the following options. Call the Cavalry. Three and a white for the sorcery that makes two two knight tokens with vigilance. There's also Academy Journey Mage. Four and a blue for the three two that when it comes into play, you bounce target creature and opponent controls and costs one less to cast if you control another wizard. Spore Crown Thalid. One and a green for the two two that gives all saprlings and fungi plus one plus one. And Arvad the Cursed, three white-black for the 3-3 legendary creature that has Death Touch and Lifelink and gives all other legendary creatures plus two plus two. Yeah, this pack is pretty interesting. So if we look at the like white and blue cards in the pack, I think Academy Journey Mage is better than Call the Cavalry. And so if I wanted to just like stick with my colors, I would take the Journey Mage here. But I like Arvad quite a bit. Also, with Wrath, it's pretty good. Like being able to flash that in to like make Wrath a 5 5 or like flash in a surprise Death Touch Lifelinker. And this early, I think it's not unreasonable to be like, all right, I have these two. And so I'm either going to be white, black, splash blue, or white, blue, splash black, and like look to prioritize skittering surveyors pretty highly, though, spoiler alert, I'm already doing that. But I think the power level of Arvad over Journey Mage is big enough here. And I think Journey Mage doesn't quite shine in a white blue deck the way that Arvad would if I would just be splashing it. So I think all that leads me to want to grab that out of this pack. That's very fair. Uh, I was feeling conservative here, and I took Academy Journey Mage just to stay on color with my Wrath Caption, but certainly could see Arvad. 
Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following options. Sapperling Migration, one and a green. Sorcery, make two one one sapperlings. If you kick it for four extra mana, you get four sapperlings. All right, so we got to talk about this card for a second, Ben, because some very <laughs> shocking news came out in the uh, limited podcasting world this week, which is that LSV said he has Sapperling Migration ahead of Llanowar Elves. Yeah, he's losing points. Does that make you feel vindicated at all? It it does not. I just feel sad for LSB that he's losing points. (laughs) You think he'll come around? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, people were talking about that in the Discord, and there are a ton of different ways to draft this format, and it makes sense. I think if you think Sapperlings is the best deck, like it seems like Ben S is on that as well. I just Mm. really don't think Sapperlings is the best deck, so I don't think Sapperling migration is better than land of war elves like i'm playing land of war elves in 100 percent of my green decks i'm not playing sapperling migration in 100 percent of my green decks i mean actually that's probably not true i'm probably playing it but it's probably not going to be anywhere near as good as land of war elves in 100 percent of my green decks for sure i also think like even if you think sapperlings is the best deck i d- i'm still not crazy about like these dedicated sapperling makers and this is basically in my mind a six drop unless you also have like song of frailies or whatever you know like it's tough to to feel like just two mana for two one ones does enough in this format that's kind of where i'm at as well be curious to see if lsv and company stay there yeah we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how it shakes out also in the pack is vicious offering one in a black for the instant minus two minus two to a creature and if you kick it by sacrificing a creature you can give something minus five minus five cold water snapper the turtle five and a blue for the four five hex proof turtle Tiana, Ship's Caretaker, 3 red, white for the 3-3 three, three flying first strike. Whenever an aura equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. And Howling Golem, 3 mana for the 2-3, and whenever it attacks or blocks, each player draws a card. I mean, as much as I want to take Howling Golem out of this pack, which I think I would if Vicious Offering were not here, but I'm going to slam Vicious Offering, which makes me feel pretty good about taking the Arvad last pack, but it's just like the best card in the pack period and um, it's still early enough that that's what i'm gonna take yeah i think i'm on was on the same wavelength i landed on vicious offering there for those same reasons i'm really trying to now this is like we've had good choices but i'm trying to be very patient in pack one finding my lane and i think when i was losing a lot early in the format i was not being patient i was trying to force things and i was getting frustrated the packs were weak and stuff like that so i'm just trying to really feel out the draft in pack one now I was talking about this on stream earlier this week, which is that I feel like a lot of pack ones in this format are messy. And I think you just have to do exactly what you said, which is be patient, be okay with like, I think maybe taking some lands or some colorless spells higher than you might just so that you're as flexible as possible. And don't pass the powerful stuff like Vicious Offering. Like when you get that third, take that because that's going to be one of the best cards in your deck. And it's quite splashable if you happen to get some Grow from the Ashes or Skittering Surveyors. Like, I think you just need to be pretty patient and things will shake out for the best in pack two once once people settle into their lanes. I agree. Pack four. This is a stacked pack. Sheevan Fire. Single red for the instant. Uh, deals two damage to target creature. If you kick it for four mana, you get to deal four damage instead. Caligo Skin Witch. One and a black for the one three. If you kick it with three and a black, target opponent discards two cards. Song of Frailies. One green for the saga. First two chapters until your end of turn. Uh, Creatures you control gain... No, until your next turn. Creatures you control gain tap, add one mana of any color. And the third chapter, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. And fight with fire. Two and a red for the sorcery. Deals five damage to target creature. If it was kicked for five and a red, you get to deal ten damage divided any way you choose among creatures, players, planeswalkers. 
This is crazy. Like, Fight with Fire fourth, and there's a rare and an uncommon missing. So someone took, unless there's a foil, but someone took a common over Fight with Fire. That can't be correct. No, it cannot be correct. This pack is stacked. Song of Frailies is also busted. Yeah, for sure. But so much less, like, I don't know. It requires so much less of your deck, or Fight with Fire requires so much less of your deck than Song does. Fight is, I think, the, the very clear pick here. Even with our maybe biases towards uh, not being red, uh, I'm still going to take this and slam it in my deck. Pick four. I also would. My my older brother texted me a picture of a deck today and said, Pyromance my way to trophy number one in Dominaria. Had four Fight with Fires in his red-green ramp deck what that's yeah. gross that's insane crazy. all right moving on to pick five you see the following options relic runner one in a blue for the two one if you cast a historic spell this turn it can't be blocked gitu journey mage aka the pizza mage two in a red for the three two when it enters the battlefield if you control another wizard it deals two damage target opponent diligent excavator king of the mill deck one in a blue for the one three whenever you cast a historic spell target player puts the top two cards of his or her library into their graveyard Dark Bargain, three and a black for the instant. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put two of them in your hand and one into your graveyard, and Dark Bargain deals two damage to you. And there's also Memorial to Folly. The black memorial taps to add black, enters the battlefield tapped, and you can pay two and a black. Sacrifice a return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. This pack is much less exciting than the, the previous ones that we've seen. Uh, so currently I have a white-blue gold card, a white-black gold card, a black removal spell, and a red removal spell. So I guess I have two white and two black to sort of like lean towards what I've got the most of so far. So there's nothing, not a single white card to speak of in this pack. Uh, and between the two black cards, Dark Bargain and Memorial to Folly, I would be on the land here. I take these pretty highly. We're going to talk about those in just a second. And Dark Bargain is a fine card, I think, in black decks. But I often find like if I want one of these, I can get one. And I don't want more than one generally because that life loss is does add up uh, if you've got multiples of these in your deck. So I think just the one in a, a black deck if I want it, but I feel like I can get it if I want it. So I would grab the Memorial. I also grab the Memorial there. Moving on to pack one, pick six. You see the following options. Academy Drake, two and a blue for the 2-2 Flyer with kicker four. If you kick it, uh, it comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it. Homerid Explorer, the Mill Crab. Uh, mill giant as it were yeah. three and a blue for the three three when it enters the battlefield target player puts the top four cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard caligo skin witch one and a black for the one three with kicker three and a black when it comes into play if you kicked it your opponent discards two cards another bayloth gorger and another pizza mage yeah i think this is where some people might make a mistake and the mistake i think people might make is that the power level of let's say Bayloth Gorger or Academy Drake is probably higher than the rest of the pack. But I think if you've gone the route that I've gone and you have an Arvad and you have a Vicious Offering and you have a Black Memorial, like just take another black card that is good in Caligo Skinwitch and move on with your life. And like you've probably now you're you're probably about to be carving out black as the color you know you're going to be and then figure out the rest later. And I don't think you need to like worry about I think the way your drafts get messy is when you go, well, Bayloth Gorge is the best card in the pack here, so I'm supposed to take that or Academy Drake's the best card in the pack here, so I'm supposed to take that. I think you're sacrificing a little bit of value maybe uh, in, in card quality, but you are gaining a lot of flexibility later on in the draft. 
I agree. I think pick six, seven, eight is generally where I'm trying to solidify myself into at least one color, maybe two, but generally one color, hopefully blue at this point, in this case, black for us, but uh, trying mm-hmm. to sort of find my lane. And then I know, I think one of the reasons I'm especially comfortable doing that is because I'm either pairing it with red and I've got fight with fire. I'm pairing it with blue, you know, maybe splashing a raff or pairing it with white. I've got an Arvad, you know, you've got lots of different options to go down, lots of powerful cards. So if you can find one color, you know, you're going to have like a solid deck. Moving on to pick seven, you got a choice between Soul Salvage, two and a black, return two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, Blood Tallow Candle, one mana for the artifact that has tap for six mana to give target creature minus five, minus five, and another Dirtle Turtle, five and a blue for the four, five hexproof. Um, this is a, a kind of interesting pick, I think. I'm probably just going to land on Soul Salvage here for the reasons I said before uh, with like sticking with black. But I think of note, if the color we were looking at wasn't black, like if we were in blue at this point, that's maybe not a great, let's say we were in blue and already had a snapper. I could see taking Blood Tallow Candle because blue doesn't have a lot of like hard removal, you know, um, and often cares about historic triggers so i've been not embarrassed with like one blood tallow candle in removal light color pairs like if you're blue green that sort of thing but all that is a lot of talking about other things that are not this current situation where i would grab the soul salvage i agree i also slammed it here and i think we navigated that draft fairly similarly yeah for sure it only diverged in that that second pick all right so today we're going to be talking about what not to play in Dominaria. Uh, and this was an, an idea we had kicking around uh, a couple weeks ago. feels like this is a good time to do it. We've got some cards we want to discuss. But I feel like before we get so microscopic, we want to just look at some big picture things about the format and where we're at there. Uh, and then we'll narrow it down and then narrow it down to, to talking about some specific cards. So Ben, why don't, you, why don't you kick things off for us here? Yeah, I think this is such a cool way to look at the format because there's so much stuff to do. Like that yeah. is good and so many different ways that cards work that maybe we've, we can give you what not to do. And I can confirm I've done a lot of losing. So I have a lot of experience in (laughs) what not to do. So I think the first thing, you know, where you can set yourself up to fail is playing a deck that doesn't have a concrete plan to win. Um, So we've sort of just got a list of the ways games commonly play out in the format. Um, And there are certainly other like niche decks that are very, very good. Like the mill deck is very good when it comes together. I've seen so many creative decks on the other side of the battlefield that feel near unbeatable sometimes Mm -hmm. but i think if you're struggling you can try to like try to combat some of these common strategies and maybe even play them yourself so what's one of the ways the games play out in this format ethan well i think one way and a way that we're pretty high on is one person gets ahead and stays ahead with interaction and removal against a slower start from an opponent and i think some of the best decks uh, in the format to do that are blue red wizards and blue white flyers i think those two decks uh feel like they have the the tools the most and then maybe a tier below that is going to be some some white black flyer removal decks as well Um, but those three decks feel like they have uh, a lot of the tools to be able to get ahead and stay ahead in the format Yeah, that's one of the most common ways I've lost is to blue-white decks that get ahead and, you know, I play my Mammoth Spider and they bounce it and I play my Mammoth Spider again and they bounce it again and then I'm just dead all of a sudden. Losing a race to Flyers is another common way games have played out. Either me now, I'm very high on Flyers at the moment or my opponent's having Flyers. I often feel like if you're the person with the evasion, you can find some ways to chump block, some sapperlings, some skittering surveyors laying around, just enough to turn a race uh, in your favor in the air. I think another uh, pretty strong deck that 
can maybe not get ahead and stay ahead is is the way to say it, but that can really take over the game is when Sapperlings goes off. So either you assemble a wide board and you've got a Song of Freylies going off on the third chapter, you've got a Thalid Omnivore in play, you've got a Slime Foot in play. I, I can't tell you how many times I've faced down a Thalid Omnivore. Like someone goes turn three Avamaya Sapper, turn four Thalid Omnivore, and I just look at my hand and I go, can I kill this thing right now? No, all my removal is damage based. Fantastic. I can't beat this card once my opponent untaps with mana. So I think Sapperlings, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it goes off, it's really hard to interact with. Yeah, I think I need to start picking Thalid Omnivore higher because on the other side of the battlefield from Sapperlings, that is the card I'm afraid of the most out of the Sapperlings deck and the card I am under pressure from the most out of the Sapperlings deck. So that's the three and a black three, three that you can pay one sacrifice a creature to give it plus two plus two. And if it was a Sapperling, you'd gain two life card has been impressive. Yeah, it's really good. Another common way these games play out is the board stalls out and one player drowns the other in raw card advantage through cards like Divination, Sagas, Weight of Memory, Grow from the Ashes, Tatiova. I think blue-green decks are really good at doing that. Blue-black decks, I think, are really good at doing that. It just feels, you know, if you're the person that doesn't have the Divinations or the Weights of Memory when the board stalled out, it just feels like you can never, ever win. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I think another way that happens is the board stalls out and then someone wins with an unanswered bomb. Like, I feel like there's a lot of games where, like, you just can't quite push through and then someone goes, tap seven, Daragaz, swing for seven. And you go, oh, oh, there's a bomb. There's something I need to deal with. If someone just you can't quite deal with the board stalling out and someone being able to pump a bunch of mana into Slimefoot or into Rona, these sort of like mana sinks that take advantage of the board stalls of the format. Uh, these are ways that you can eke out the wins when the board stalls out. So I think if you're not on one of those specific plans, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. And there, I, there are rumors around of these aggressive decks that use Jousting Lance and things like that. You know, some really good people have had success with those. I have not found success with that, and I've found myself beating that deck a lot. That's why it's not on this list. But Mm -hmm. if you're not one of these strategies or like a very specific style of aggressive deck that you've found success with, I think you might be setting yourself up for some trouble. I totally agree. So let's look specifically at what the trouble that you might be getting into is. Uh, I think one of the weaknesses that your deck might have if you're you're struggling or feel like you're not getting those those solid plans that we just outlined together is that you might have an inability to deal with bodies of 5-5 five, five power and toughness or greater or being able to punch through just maybe a simple mammoth spider with your flyers. So if your removal is in red and green, that's all damage-based. Or in the case of Ancient Animus, that's based on your biggest creature, but still damage-based. You want to make sure your deck doesn't auto-lose to cards like Grun, the Lonely King, or Pardic Wanderer if you're playing for the late game. So if you're if you're playing for the late game, but you don't have a way to deal with a large body or a creature like Grun that's going to basically put you into the abyss every turn, you're going to have a bad time. Um, I think this is the real drawback of cards like Shivenfire, Wizard's Lightning, and Goblin Barrage, uh, these damage-based red spells that can't quite get up into that five toughness echelon. I- I've had a lot of conversations about Shivenfire this week. So LR is still on Shivenfire as-, as the best common. Ryan Sachs, friend of the stream, very strong limited player, getting back into to streaming and playing a bunch and posting a lot of stuff in our Discord. He's still on Shivenfire as the, the best common. And I think you, you and I are-, are much lower on that card. Can you speak to that for a little bit? 
Yeah, so Shiv and Fire is great, like very good. I just don't know that it's very good in this format, especially the way we're building our decks. So Shiv and Fire, I think two threes are very good in the format. Shiv and mm-hmm. Fire doesn't kill a two three for one mana. It does kill like three twos and two twos, but I already think if you're putting two threes in your deck, you're beating decks with two twos and three twos in them. Like mm-hmm. I would just rather trade my Talarian Scholar for my opponent's three two than trade my first pick premium removal spell for my opponent's three two. Right. And then past that, if you need to deal more than two damage, you're spending five mana to deal four damage, which is not a good rate. Uh, not a good rate at all. That's like a fiery intervention, which is kind of like a medium level removal spell. Mm-hmm. And fiery intervention can at least blow up an icy manipulator. Shiv and fire can't do that. Well, and fiery intervention notably kills Partic Wanderer. Yeah. So I think, you know, I frequently found myself playing red a lot early in the format because I was picking cards like Shiv and fire and wizards, lightning and goblin barrage highly. I was like, great. I've got this awesome removal suite. And then my opponent would play a Partic Wanderer and I would just lose. Yeah. I think it is worth noting because I, I could I could just hear Ryan in my ear going, yeah, but that's not how, what the deck those cards go in. <laughs> so now I know he's having a lot of success with aggressive, assertive red decks, which you and I are not drafting. We acknowledge that they exist and can be very powerful, like we've been told by people that we trust, like Ryan, that they are, are having a lot of wins with them. He's posted absurd win rates with, with those decks. So I think that's where those deck that card goes in, where you're able to like take advantage of double spelling with shiv and fire to add a, an attacker to the board and get a blocker out of the way that sort of thing except what i would say is shiv and fire still doesn't kill a two three right yeah well i guess maybe the other spell he's double spelling with does kill the two three yeah wizard's lightning for sure so speaking of aggressive decks i think one of the other things that you know your deck might be weak is if you're planning to win through attacking on the ground aggressively without ways to push your creatures through good blockers so I'm frequently playing lots of defensive cards, one threes, two threes. I'm interested in blocking this format. And the card I'm most afraid of on the other side of the battlefield is Jousting Lance. So that's Mm -hmm. two mana for the equipment that gives your creature plus two plus oh when it's equipped. And if it's your turn, the creature has first strike and the equip cost is three. And what that does, if if you're the blocker and your opponent's got Jousting Lance, it turns every one of their creatures into a must answer threat, which is a real problem because you're hoping to be able to multiple block with your two two threes on their four four. And if their four four is like a six four first strike, you know, you're just in trouble. I think Short Sword, the one mana equipment that gives plus one plus one, it has an equip cost of one, just does not do enough. I'm really looking to not put Short Sword in my deck ever, I think, at this point in the format, unless yeah. I've got like lots of historic synergy. And I think another problem is using combat tricks as an aggressor when your opponent has open mana. I think that's a recipe for disaster in this format. So let's say you're planning on attacking on the ground with your two twos, your three twos, you're going to curve out uh, and you're going to cast the plus three plus three and trample card on an attacking creature. That just is a bad plan if your opponent's got open mana. There's so much instant speed removal. There's instant speed bounce. You're going to get wrecked if you're planning to do that into open mana. I think especially if you're doing it into five open mana. Maybe if you're against a white opponent and, you know, they've got two mana, but if if they're non-white, that sort of thing. But yeah, especially if you're doing it into five mana, I think you're just going to have a bad time and you're looking to get two for one. I think another thing that 
has really come about because of the the prominence of common artifacts of of bomb artifacts and enchantments and in form of sagas or icy manipulators and we're not even talking about the rare level is that you really need a way to deal with these kinds of permanents um, especially equipment from aggro decks Um, so i think you want to make sure you can interact profitably with jousting lance if your deck is planning on blocking and making the game go long and i think you probably want access to a minimum of two disenchant effects if possible so we're looking at invoke the divine if you're in white or broken bond if you're in green or blessed light to deal with enchantments or fiery intervention to deal with artifacts Um, those are some easy those last two are easy main deck ways to deal with those cards but i think even main decking invoke or broken bond is not the most embarrassing thing you can do in this format yeah not main decking two like main decking one maybe one out of the sideboard some some combination thereof Another huge problem your deck might have is if you can't deal with flyers, especially if your opponent's planning on racing you with flyers. So we've talked about blue-white a bunch. I think that's a serious force in the format. I'm on it as the best deck, and you need to have a plan to deal with flyers, especially if you're a deck like black-green or something like that. You know, Mammoth Spider is fine, but the blue-white deck can really keep you on the back foot if your plan is playing Mammoth Spider on turn five. You know, all they have to do is bounce it once and then kill it, and you're out of luck. Um, So what I really like to do if I'm green is having access to multiple Pierce the Sky if possible, because you can't always count on that Mammoth Spider to stabilize you. So Pierce the Sky is that one in a green, deal seven damage, target creature with flying. And another advantage of that is that it's cheap, so it lets you double spell often. Like, you know, they pay five mana for their Cloud Reader Sphinx, you're paying two mana to kill it, and then maybe you can play another threat and sort of get ahead that way in the race. Yeah. Another way that we found that you can be doing it wrong is if you have a lack of win conditions in a grindy matchup. Now, a lack of win conditions is not always your fault. I've often found that I've been drafting some blue-based decks, and I just go, well, I'm not really getting there on the, like, uncommon or rare bomb side of things so i'm probably just going to have to assemble a couple cold water snappers and a couple arcane flights and that's going to be my win con so you you may have just a few ways to push through once you've stabilized and ground the game to a screeching halt but if you're relying on two to four cards to win in a game in a ramp deck Try to have ways to recur them. So if you can have a Soul Salvage or a Black Memorial or a Nature Spiral or maybe a Mending of Dominaria to shuffle things back in. So there's a lot of good removal, some of which exiles. And if you can run out of win conditions, which is a real problem in a format that does uh, facilitate a lot of these grindy decks, uh, you may find yourself out of luck in some of those those sort of ground-to-a-halt matchups. Um, and I think Mill is a very effective way to get rid of opposing decks like this to if you see a deck that is like well they really seem to be relying on just like two to three bombs well maybe you've got a couple mill giants in your deck you can bring in and just try and mize a win by grabbing those things right out of their library and putting them in the graveyard and they don't have ways to recur them that's definitely a strategy you can employ yeah i think in some cases that mill giant is a four mana three three that says you have a 10 percent chance to win the game when you cast it <laughs> against yeah, some of these decks for sure Another issue your deck might have is if it's weak to decks that go wide. Sapperlings is a real force in the format. Green-white go wide is a real force in the format. I think 1-3s and 2-3s really excel uh, against those opponents that are trying to go wide. I cannot tell you the number of times my Sapperlings opponent has gone, like, make a 2-2 plus a 1-1 Sapperling, make 3-1-1 Sapperlings, and my single 2-3 is preventing them from attacking because they haven't found a way to use those Sapperlings effectively yet against those decks that go wide you know you're really going to be struggling if you've got a lot of premium removal Uh, that's where it's definitely at its worst and sometimes you might have to cut you know a vicious offering or a gideon's reproach for a two three because that two three is going to hold back multiple 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 one ones and two twos yeah 
The last point we want to talk about here is a deck's inability to double spell. We've talked about this a lot before. I feel like a lot of the drafts that I look at in Discord or a lot of decks that people post to me in Discord or on Twitter or in Twitch are decks where you just want your curve to be a little lower. And I don't think people are quite understanding, and we'll get into this in a little bit, about the power level of cards at 4 mana, 5 mana, and 6 mana, and the lower power level of cards at 2 and 3 mana, or even 1 mana if we're talking about Llanowar Elves. So when you have the opportunity to grab Llanowar Elves, or to grab a Yavamaya Sapherd, or a Deathbloom Thalid, or an Elfheim Druid, these effective spells at 1, 2, and, and 3 mana, the, the the Knights, the Knight of Glory, and the or the Knight of Grace, and Knight of... Is that, what are they called? The, the Black Knight and the White Knight. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, these are good two drops in your deck. And there's a lot of good five drops floating around. There's a lot of good six drops floating around. So you can frequently find yourself losing to assertive decks or tempo decks because you just can't quite double spell. You're not going to get to eight mana and nine mana where you can go, haha, eviscerate and mammoth spider. That's just not going to happen because if you get there, you're probably already winning the game. So if you can't double spell and the opponent can answer your large threat one at a time with something like blink of an eye and keep them ahead and then be able to drop a creature into play or even if they're just kicking blink of an eye and recouping that card from bouncing it and kicking it like that's a definite way that you can fall behind quickly and have no way to recoup that tempo loss that is the number one way i lost early in this format was just like my opponent answering my five mana threats after they were ahead one at a time because you just can't double spell. And I was playing cards that were good, but I was only playing them one at a time. My win rate has gone up once I've started valuing flyers a lot more highly and once I started valuing cheaper interaction, just trying to give myself the chance to double spell. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you should be taking like cheap bad cards over expensive good cards. I'm just saying when you have the choice between like a five drop and a two drop, Think about your curve. Think about the way the games are going to play out and think about the power level of cards at that CMC in the set. And I think that will lead you to wanting to take the cheaper card more often than not. Yeah, that heuristic of take when in doubt, take the cheaper card, I think is at its best in this set. It really rings true here. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to talk about some cards in specific that we think you should not be playing in this format. Uh, but before that, I just had like two points from the week that I wanted to discuss that come up in Twitch chat a lot. I feel like these are the things that become like recurring talking points throughout the week. I then want to like bring up on the podcast because I think it means that like a lot of people out there are having these questions or thinking differently than I'm thinking. And I want to put these thoughts into words. So the first of these two points is looking at memorial lands and dual lands. I think you need to be taking these cards higher. Uh, so the memorials, and specifically talking about the Sultai memorials, the blue that draws two, the black that raised dead a creature, and the green that lets you look at the top five cards and put a creature card from among them into your hand. I think these cards allow you to play 18 lands more often, which is where I believe you want to be in this format, right? You're going to have a lot of places to put mana, a lot of kicked spells, and the Memorial Land is basically like an easy way to go. Well, I would be playing 17, but here's a land that turns into a spell later, so easy time to play 18 lands. I also believe the dual lands to be high picks in weak packs, of which I have found there are a lot. Like, sometimes I just look at, like, pick four, and there's nothing going on, and I go, well, there's a white-black dual land in this pack, and, like, what if I end up black-blue and I want to splash Raph? 
Like, that's not an unlikely scenario. It's something we saw in our roundtable today. And I think grabbing those dual lands higher out of weak packs enable splashes later, because I don't often find, especially with running 18 lands, that I'm short on playables. So when you take a flyer on a land like that, I think you have an opportunity to just add some value to your draft in a land slot. Yeah, I have a I like sort of a thought about these memorial lands. I, I told you when we were talking in the pre-show that I'm picking the memorials a little lower, and here's why, and I want to see sort of what your your take on it is. I certainly agree that the duels have gone way up for me. I think maybe I was slightly too high on the memorials. I still think the memorials are great, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I've moved them down slightly in my pick order because I've frequently found that I just don't have time sometimes in games to crack them, like before they're relevant. So like, for example, the blue memorial, you know, I would sometimes have two blue memorials in my deck and, you know, never have an opportunity. Five mana is a lot. That's almost your whole turn. So I think the memorials only really shine in games where you're like grindy deck versus grindy deck. And more recently, I've been on decks that are trying to like keep my opponent on the back foot, like this blue white tempo deck. And I think the memorials are a little less good in that style of deck. My rebuttal to you is then they're just lands, which is great. That's the floor, right? Like, I guess I don't know what you're taking them over in those cases or like what they would have been in your deck instead. But in the deck you're describing, you have 17 or you have 22 to 23 playables. And then you have 17 or 18 lands, some of which protect you from from flooding out. You know, like, I just feel like that that floor is so high for these cards. Sure. No, I, I agree. They're super powerful. They're good. You should take them. I guess I've just what I'm trying to say is I'm I found myself when they're in my deck, activating them way less often than I thought I would be. Hence, mm-hmm. I've moved them down slightly. I think the blue one was what I thought would be the best one of them. And I think it's not. I think it's probably worse than the black certainly and maybe the green one because of how expensive it is that makes a lot of sense to me i would agree with that for sure all right the next point i want to bring up here is probably pretty crazy and i think a lot of people are going to disagree with me but i think skittering surveyor is the best common in the set we came out with like a top five common overall list and we had surveyors number five and i think i'm putting skittering surveyor at number one now and here's why so I be- and we're, if we're just talking about like pack one pick one I believe there is a lot of good removal at common in this set, and there are not a lot of effects that help you splash. And so I feel like an argument of like, well, you take Eviscerate first, right? You go, well, I take Eviscerate. Eviscerate's great, and it's splashable. Well, that's true in most formats, but in this format, splashing is hard. You basically have Skittering Surveyor and Grow from the Ashes, and that's it. And the reverse of like, well, I can take Skittering Surveyor, which I know he's going to make my deck 100% of the time, even if I'm just a two-color deck, because how often have you found yourself to be like, you know, I've got double red and double green on turn four, and so, like, this is going to help you keep some awkward hands. There's, like, the triple-colored rares uh, that are pretty color-committing, but often you want to put those in your deck. I think Surveyor does a lot in even just two-color decks and certainly enables splashes later on. Um, so I feel like it leaves you more flexible, and you've got more replaceable effects like Eviscerate, like Blessed like like Vicious Offering. These are all common removal spells that are pretty powerful in terms of, like, being able to just get something dead when you need it to get dead, and Surveyor helps splash that, whereas the reverse, I feel like, is a lot tougher in this format. Yeah, that doesn't that's that doesn't sound crazy to me. You know, we talked about this a little bit when you were Skyping in uh, on my stream the other day. I could see it. I don't know that I'm there yet, but the argument you make is fine. Like, I mean, the the card I find myself saying, like, my deck would be good if 
I had is Skittering Surveyor. Yeah. This deck would be great if I had a Skittering Surveyor to fix my mana, or would be great if I had two Skittering Surveyors to fix my mana. I never find myself thinking, or that's not true, but I rarely find myself thinking this deck would be great if I had one more removal spell. If I had one more, like, four or five mana removal spell, right? Like, sure. I, I feel like that's the distinction to make. Like, maybe the Vicious Offerings of the world are perhaps less replaceable, just because, like, they're good at many stages of the game. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I found that, too. I've, like, been like, oh, man, you know what I wish I had is this. And I often am not feeling that way about Eviscerate and am feeling that way about Surveyor. Yeah, I don't know that I'm there yet, but I, I could certainly see that being totally 100% correct and that the rest of us that have not done 100 drafts yet just haven't caught up to you in that line of thinking. I think that's <laughs> why I think that's why I would trust your gut here because you've done so many drafts and I already sort of feel that way. Yeah. I mean I'm interested to see what the masses end up thinking because I know people are, are in a lot of different spots which is a really cool place for the format to be. Like we've got people having Shivan Fire or Elves or Grow from the Ashes or Surveyor or Vicious Offering versus Eviscerate. Like there's a lot of different camps about like what the overall best common in the format is. And I think that's a, a cool spot for the format to be at. Sure. All right, let's get into it. We've got this, this list of, of cards that we do not want to be playing in Dominaria. And I think the first chunk of these that we were going to discuss is the rares that don't quite get there. So we got five on this list, most of which we're in agreement with. The first one, we're looking at Jaya Ballard. That's the Planeswalker. Two, red, 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 comes into play with five loyalty, two plus abilities, uh, neither of which protect yourself, which is sort of the problem. One is to add triple red to your mana pool, but you can only use it to cast instant or sorceries. Uh, the second ability, second plus, you can discard up to three cards and then draw that many cards. And the ultimate at eight is you get an emblem with you may cast instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard. If a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. This card, I just want to talk about, like, maybe give a blanket overall statement about the cards that we are going to discuss. I am not saying that these cards are unplayable. I am not saying that you will not see me drafting decks with these cards in them that we're going to discuss today. I am only saying that if you do about like 15 to 20 drafts, if you're a normal, sensible human being, <laughs> that these are cards that are going to be mostly traps for you and cards that you can do better drafting. So Jaya is the first of those. The fact that you just have a, a difficult to cast Planeswalker in a color that is not desirable, in my opinion, and certainly a color that is often not trying to do the thing that Jaya is trying to do, which is continue to make the game go long, you're going to have a bad time with this card. It just doesn't do enough for a limited player. And even though you see like, ooh, a Planeswalker, just pass it up. It's not even worth money. Don't worry about it. Agree. Next on this list is the first eruption. Two in a red. First chapter. Uh, it's a saga. First chapter deals one damage to each creature without flying. Second chapter, you add red red to your mana pool. And third chapter, you sacrifice a mountain. If you do, first eruption deals three damage to each creature. I do think this is like a fairly powerful sideboard card, maybe against a Sapperlings deck or a green-white deck. But in general, I think if you don't pick this card highly, you're probably going to be better off. Thran's Temporal Gateway is next. That's four mana for the artifact that has four tap. You may put a historic card from your hand into play. This card is not worth a card. So that's an eight mana investment to put a card in from your hand into play that doesn't give you any card advantage, right? You're losing a card of value to put this in your deck. And I feel like if you're trying to play this and then like justifying it with like, well, now I've got all these like other awkward mana requirements for these legendary permanents I want to play and Thran's Temporal Gateway just smooths all that out. feel like something probably went wrong a long time ago in the drafting process uh, <laughs> for this card to be justified in your deck. 
Next on this list, we've got Sylvan Awakening. This is two and a green for the sorcery. Until your next turn, all lands you control become 2-2 elemental creatures with reach, indestructible, and haste. They're still lands. Uh, this is another one. I would certainly never main deck this card. I think you're not supposed to pick it highly at all. I think it's like a fine sideboard card once you know you're in a super grindy matchup where the game's going to go to turn 15 or something. The fact that this could just win you the game on the spot in those situations, I could consider citing it in. Yeah, I'm not convinced about the sideboard access of this card. I, I just feel like I've only ever seen this get cast and then like they swing out with their lands and it puts me to four and then i win this card just feels like other things can win you the game when this card could win you the game i don't know um, the last rare we want to look at on this list is black blade reforged this is two mana for the equipment uh, equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each land you control it has an equipped cost of seven but if you're equipping it to a legendary creature, it only costs three to equip. So my thing is I don't feel like you should be jamming this in every deck, and I think you should much more be thinking about this like a legendary sorcery. If you've got four legendary creatures in your deck, this is probably a fine include, much like a legendary sorcery is. If you have one or zero, and certainly if you have no ramp in your deck, this card is going to get cast for two and just sit on the battlefield embarrassing you. Yeah, I've not been impressed with this card. On my side of the battlefield, it's been lots of my O2 decks <laughs> and on my opponent's side of the battlefield. Even when they've got legendaries, you know, you can snap off instant speed removal on their legendary creature and you time walk them. It's just kind of a clunky equipment and I think you can generally do better. Like I think in most decks, I would just prefer to have jousting lance if I wanted a piece of equipment. For sure. All right, what do we got next to look at in terms of categories of cards? The next category is the Hey, We're Sagas 2 category of cards. First on this list is Chainer's Torment. We've talked about this last week. It just does not do enough. So it's three and a black uh, for the Saga. The first two chapters, you drain your opponent for two. Third chapter, you lose half your life rounded up and make an XX creature token. This card just owns you. You frequently lose half your life, and then something happens to this creature, and then you lose the game. Yeah, for sure. The other saga that I think is important to talk about here is Triumph of Gerard. This is one and a white for the saga that puts a plus and plus one counter on the creature you control with the greatest power for the first two chapters. And then the third chapter pops off and uh, the creature you control with the greatest power in play gets uh, flying lifelink and first strike until end of turn this card just has such a low impact and the fact that it makes you buff your biggest powered creature which theoretically is already the creature that has a target on its back is not great for you you combine that with the fact that the ultimate doesn't really do a lot unless it's going off on a big creature that again your opponent is going to be trying to kill anyway and the fact that that creature has to attack that turn so you already have to sort of be ahead or be able to like engage your biggest creature in combat for you to receive the bonus of the theoretically dealing damage to your opponent or them having to chump block and you gaining life uh, it all adds up to a card that i feel like is way too easily disrupted by your opponent yep i agree i'm super off triumph of gerard i just have owned it every time it's been on the other side of the battlefield yeah me too card selection spells are our next category first of those is board the weatherlight that's one in a white look at the top five cards of your library put a historic card from among them reveal it and put it into your hand just doesn't do enough i don't think you have to have so many historic cards i could certainly see playing this but you don't need to pick it highly and probably would not miss out on much if you never put it in your deck yeah i think the the takeaway here from the cards we're talking about is like again we're not saying they're unplayable but like you're probably going to win more if you don't run these cards in your deck i feel like people are on board the weatherlight as being like understood about what the drawbacks are the other card that i feel like people 
push up against me a lot about is Adventurous Impulse. And I don't know if I've gotten your thoughts about this card yet. So this is single green for the sorcery. You look at three card, top three cards of your library, and you can reveal a creature or land from among them, put it into your hand, and then put the rest on the bottom. My problem with this card is that the argument of, well, I play it early and it's a land when I want it to be a land, or when I'm top decking late, this gives me three shots to like find a creature I want. It doesn't really hold up for me. I very rarely want to leave card selection like this up to chance like this in green decks. If you've ever cracked the green memorial and missed, which has happened to me multiple times, and that digs you five, right? That And that's the same thing. Like, well, late game, I get to crack this land to look at five cards and find a creature. Well, sometimes you're going to miss. And when it's a land, I feel way less bad. When I'm putting a spell in my deck that then I go, uh, look at the top three. Oh, I only find a land or God forbid you whiff, which of course is going to happen so, so rarely, but still is a possibility. If you do a hundred drafts and I'm constantly putting adventurous impulse in my deck, you can bet I would be missing a lot more. I just don't think this card does a lot. I would rather just like play 18 lands, put an extra land in or put a creature in when I like know it's a creature. This card just, I think is a trap most of the time. So I think there's two things about this card. I think I would run it if I felt like my deck wanted 17 and a half lands, but I don't ever really feel that way about my decks. I feel like it's pretty clear. I think I want 18 lands most of the time. And if my deck doesn't want 18, it definitely wants 17. Mm -hmm. And the other reason I would think that you're feeling like you're missing with this card more than in most formats is because frequently my decks have like somewhere in the 11 to 14 creature range in this format. Yes, yeah, for sure. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, your creature count feels like it's a little lower in this format, especially in green decks where like, what if your creatures are sapling migration and spore swarm? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's not where I want to be. And I think that the, the two other card selection spells, which I actually have been finding myself run uh, in, in this format, is Opt and Warlord's Fury. I was like pretty off of Opt in like Hour of Devastation. I thought that card was, or no, it wasn't Hour of, what format was it in? Was it in everything? Is it just Ixalan. been in every set? It was in Ixalan. I was really not into playing Opt. I was like, I would just rather put the thing in my deck rather than a card that like, you know, helped me find other things or like, you know, I had to spend mana on. But I think in Ixalan, you didn't have time for that. In this format, you do have time for that. And sometimes in blue decks, where it's like blue decks just want to be like getting card selection and card advantage. And if you don't find yourself with like two divinations and a weight of memory, I think opts are fine. And I also think opts and Warlord's Fury have the benefit of being in a color pair that actually has cards that care about spells. So certainly Adelie's loves having opts in your deck because when you cast an instant and give all your wizards plus one plus one and that instant is only one mana and replaces itself that's gas and also you have gitu lava runners which in more assertive wizard decks you want to run that card and that card gets way better once you have two instants or sorceries in your graveyard and the way to do that is by playing cheap ones of those that replace themselves like the fury and like opt so i think those cards are still fine in this format makes sense our next category of cards are the Artifact Matters cards. First of these is Antiquities War, which we've already talked about. Don't draft it. It's terrible. It's a trap. It's going to drain record draft. I will still be drafting this card. Oh, really? Do as I say, not as I do. Oh, God. I am never picking that card ever again. I had such a bad time with it. <laughs> such a bad time. Next card on this list is Sage of Latinam. That's one and a blue for the one two that taps to sacrifice an artifact and draws you a card. There just are not enough artifacts running around that you want to sacrifice. And if you do want to sacrifice the artifacts, you probably shouldn't be putting them in your deck. For example, you're not sacrificing your Icy Manipulator, and then you shouldn't be running Short Sword to enable your Sage of Latinam. 
Yeah, I think this and Orcish Vandal, which is its like better cousin but still not playable. Uh, one in a red for the one two tap sack an artifact to shock something. There's just not enough good artifacts floating around to make these viable. Like we don't have treasure tokens, we don't have servo tokens. You have to put real actual magic cards in your deck that you then are hoping to draw with a two mana one two, which is a terrible blocker and also not worth a card. And then combine these two terrible cards together to sacrifice them and draw cards or shock things. It just all adds up to a bad time i just a quick tangent here i played against a deck that had two orcish vandals antiquities war three skittering surveyors the uh legendary mythic joyra that like when you cast historic permanence or historic spells you draw a card that seems like the most magical christmas land for this deck like just turn through your deck draw cards draw skittering surveyors which replace themselves then sacrifice i still beat the deck in two games the this deck just does not come together i do not believe it is real yeah, because you're playing a bunch of bad cards for, like, medium synergy, I think. Yeah, for sure. The next category of cards we want to look at is the come on, you can do better than this creatures. Uh, and I put three on this list. Uh, Cabal Evangel, one and a black for the 2-2. Two, two. Fire Elemental, which is three red red for the 5-4. And Feral Abomination, which is five and a black for the 5-5 five, five Death Touch. I don't think it's that these creatures are bad. I mean, it's been not too recently that we remember that getting a one and a black for a 2-2 two, two with no downside was rare. Like, this is a new thing. But I just don't think these cards are good in this particular format. Non-aggro 2-2, two, two, so you'll notice that I didn't put, uh, I haven't put, like, I won't be talking about red bears even though i don't like those cards because i do believe that red aggro decks are a thing but non-aggro tutus get blanked so easily and there's so many things that are good to do at common at five or six mana better than fire elemental or feral abomination to name a few blessed light the sphinx fiery intervention cold water snapper Partic wanderer uh not to mention uncommons or rares that i think abomination and fire elemental just get embarrassed way too easily yeah, I would. I think Ooze should also be on this list, right? The one in the green for the two-two thing. Oh, we, we we've got we've got him coming in later. Oh, jeez, I'm spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> one tiny little caveat, even though I feel like we're mostly talking about commons here, is I want to make a small note about two-headed giant. Again, this is something that comes up a lot in uh, in Twitch chat. So two-headed giant is a rare. It's two red red for a four-four, and when you attack, uh, you flip two coins, and if like they both come up heads, it gets double strike and if they both come up tails it gets menace and if they both come up tails and heads then nothing happens i think people are getting tripped up about the rarity of this card think about the commons in the set that are four mana four fours right we've got baloth gorger we've got Keldon raider which is a two red red for a four three that lets you rummage when it comes into play we've got the cyclops which is three and a red for a four four right? we've got four mana four fours at common and i think Keldon raider and gorger are basically better than this card and this card is probably slightly better than the cyclops the point being that this is a fine card and i think i it often gets like well why aren't you taking that card because it's a rare and for no other reason so don't get tripped up by the rarity on this card and and try and evaluate it next to the other four mana four fours in the set and i think you'll find that it's nothing special i agree i read that paragraph in our show notes and i was like hmm i've been overvaluing two-headed giant (laughs) (laughs) our next category of cards is the quote this isn't ixalan anymore auras so uh there are a lot of auras in the set that don't do enough i think to justify the risk first of which is demonic vigor single black for the aura that gives plus one plus one and whenever your creature dies you return it to your hand frenzied rage one and a red for the plus two plus one and menace and dub two and a white for the plus two plus two and first strike 
There's so many removal spells in this format, and they're so good, and they're so efficient. You're just going to get two for one, I think, if you put these cards on your creatures, and I would look to avoid running these in most cases at all costs. Yeah, I'm not saying that we're not going to lose to these cards, like we haven't lost to them, or that we're not going to continue to lose to them, but I think the abundance of bounce and efficient removal at common in the format leads to these cards just not doing enough. It asks for your opponent to have an answer, and more often than not, I think they're going to have one. And I think worth noting also that Arcane Flight isn't on this list. I think that card is very good in combination with the Turtle, certainly, and mm-hmm. just if you're waiting till a key point to cast that card can often win you the game. So that's the single blue for the plus one, plus one in flying. Yeah, I've come around to that card plus Snapper as being a pretty good way to win games in this format. The next category we want to look at are the bad blockers. So we've got Davenant Trapper. That's two and a white for the three, two. That uh, whenever you cast a historic spell, you can tap a creature your opponent controls. Gaia's Protector. That's three and a green for the four, two. That must be blocked each turn if able. Drudge Sentinel. Two and a black for the two, one. Uh, Has the activate ability of three. Colorless mana, which lets you tap it, and it gains indestructible until end of turn. And Llanowar Envoy, the thing that people think fixes your mana, but you just you can do better, uh, is uh, two and a green for the three two. Uh, you can pay one and a green to add a mana of any color to your mana pool. X twos, creatures with two toughness, are terrible blockers in this format. In a format where blocking is good, we cannot say this enough. Uh, I think maybe, maybe, maybe there's an argument that the 4-2, the, the guy's protector, can trade with a 4-4, but I would much rather have a high-toughness creature in this format than a high-powered creature. These cards trade down on mana a lot with cheap removal in the format, Shiv and Fire and Vicious Offering, which 2-3s do not. Yeah, I was literally just thinking today while I was playing golf that Llanowar Envoy would be great if it were a 2-3. But, like, the decks that want Llanowar Envoy to fix their mana want to block, and Llanowar Envoy doesn't block. So you, like, play this Llanowar Envoy, and you want to use it, so you don't want to block with it, but then you just die while you're not blocking with it. Yep, absolutely. Feels so bad. Next category. Oh, this is where I was skipping ahead. Two Mm -hmm. mana bears and pikers in non-aggressive colors. So first up on the list is Corrosive Ooze, the one in a green for the 2-2, that if it blocks something that had an equipment on it, you destroy that equipment at the end of combat, I think. Cabal of Angel, we've already talked about, the one in a black for the 2-2 Vanilla, and Rat Colony, the one in a black for the 2-1 that you can play as many copies of, which I don't know why that clause is on there, because you want to play zero copies of it. Yeah. Uh, We've also left red or white creatures off of this list because, you know, you can draft aggro, but you and I certainly are not looking to do that. But there are people that have had a lot of success drafting aggro decks that have talked about red-white being a good deck. I've certainly seen mono-red decks floating around. Mm-hmm. I think these cards are like sideboard material at best uh, for the most part, and I would look to never play them. And if you thought two-mana two-twos were bad, let's take a look at the one-mana one-ones, Skirk Prospector and Sparring Construct. So a Skirk Prospector is single red for the one-one that you can sacrifice a goblin to add red to your mana pool. And Sparring Construct is the artifact for one-mana. Uh, it's a one-one and when it dies you can put a plus plus one counter on another creature you control these cards are not worth slots in your deck full stop they do not impact the board at any state of the game and will often leave you to two for one yourself in a format where there is too much value to be doing that you want to be two for one in your opponent not setting yourself up to be one for twoing yourself agree completely last card on this list the elephant in the room navigator's compass the single mana for the artifact that when it etbs gains you three life and you can tap to turn target basic land into the basic land of your choice until the end of the turn this card is not unplayable we initially came out and said never put this in your deck and then we sort of walked it back there's times where 
if your deck's very powerful, and I think the key component is has lots of card draw to make up for, you know, the card disadvantage of Navigator's Compass. For example, I would want lots of divinations if I were playing Navigator's Compass. I think in general, if you're not doing 100 drafts, if you never put this card in your deck, you're probably going to win more. But the truth is, there are times when it's right to play. They talked about this on LR this week. They were like, it would be so much easier if we could just say this card was unplayable. And it's true. That would be way easier because the the line is so much closer to unplayable than it is to playable here. But sometimes this is going to be right. Sometimes you're this is a necessary evil and sometimes you've got or sometimes you've got like Lich's Mastery in your deck and you want to run this like but most of the time don't put this in your deck. You're going to be doing it right. Well, there it is. We've laid it all out for you. That's what to avoid in the format. So before we wrap up for today, we've got some exciting news for the podcast. We've got some Battle Bond preview cards for you all here today. Yeah, so Battle Bond is the new set that's coming out on June 8th, I believe, is the release date. And it's specifically made to be drafted uh, as two-headed giant draft format, which I did not even know that two-headed giant drafts were a thing. I always thought two-headed giant was sealed. Yeah, me too. And that's just more drafting. That sounds great to me. Yeah, sounds great to me too. So the way Two-Headed Giant Draft works, if you don't know, uh, you and a friend draft together and you each, not each, your team of two people brings four packs. So like there'll be eight people at a draft pod, uh, teams of two, and you have four packs per team. Or if you're doing sealed, you have six packs per sealed deck. And when you draft, you and a partner draft together and you take two cards out of the pack at once and pass. So when you open your pack up of 15 cards, you select pick one and pick two before passing the pack around, and then you take pick three and pick four out of the next pack. So you draft two cards at a time, um, and maybe cards for your deck, maybe cards for your partner's decks, maybe cards for one deck and another deck. It sounds super sweet to me, just like another layer of draft, getting to pick two cards at once. I know. Bring it to Magic Online, please. I don't know how they would actually do that, but that would be sweet. That sounds insane. Yeah. Uh, They also, like, that's not a lot of cards, so they really increase the number of playables and artifacts to make things work out of just four packs for you and your partner. Before we get to the first card, uh, we need to do a quick disclaimer here uh, that Wizards gave us these preview cards for free and that no money changed hands. So thank you very much to Wizards of the Coast for giving us the opportunity to preview these cards. And without further ado, Ethan, take it away for us. All right, the first card we're going to take a look at here is Sickle Dancer, two and a black for a 3-2 human warrior. It says, whenever Sickle Dancer attacks, if your team controls another warrior, Sickle Dancer gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So we've got got three cards here today. They're all going to be showing off the warrior sub-theme of this format, and this one here seems pretty decent for a common. Three mana, 3-2, that attacks as a 4-3 if you've got another warrior. That seems pretty decent in multiples. Yeah, I think certainly three mana, four, three is above rate. I think how good this is going to be as good as like three toughnesses in the format. I mean, if it's easy to trade with a card with three toughness, this is going to go down a little bit in value. But if that's not the case, this could seriously beat down. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we've got Thrasher Brute, three and a black for the four, three orc warrior. When Thrasher Brute or another warrior enters the battlefield under your team's control, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That could add up in a hurry. Could you imagine if both somehow, like, you and your partner had, like, there were enough warriors to have a sick warrior deck? Oh, man. Just every creature you played, you or your partner drained your opponent one? Certainly in draft, that seems, like, kind of possible. If, like, you both cut warriors out of packs. I don't know. 
it's hard for me to imagine how this two-headed giant drafting works, but that definitely could be possible. Yeah, and this is an uncommon. If this, if you have this in multiples, could you imagine two of these on the battlefield, draining two every time you cast a warrior? No, that's crazy. Crazy talk. The last card we're going to look at here is Jungle Wayfinder. It says two and a green for a 3-3 three, three elf warrior. Uh, it's a common, and it says when Jungle Wayfinder enters the battlefield, each player may search their library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it into their hand, then shuffle their library. Uh, so three mana, 3-3 three, three with upside for all players. Sounds like Howling Golem to me. Oh, hot dog. It's each player. When I read this the first time, I thought it was you and your partner. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's worse than that. Yeah, it's and just... I thought it was totally busted. I was thinking, wow, this is a Civic Wayfinder as like a 3-3 three, three for two players? This is out of control. <laughs> yeah. So what are the... I feel like the, the keys to like take advantage of this is like make sure... I feel like make sure you're splashing probably to have this card in your deck because it's a pretty... That's a pretty big bonus to be giving your both opponents... Uh, this this card scares me a little bit, and I love, as much as I talk about symmetrical effects with Howling Golem being good, this this card scares me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes it so that everybody gets to play Magic. So if you're, I think if your deck's also able to use lands more than your opponents, it'll be an advantage for you. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure true. That's a cool card. You're going to have to travel to Pittsburgh so we can play some two-headed giant. Oh my god, that sounds so fun. You need to Skype me in, you need to go to the store and Skype <laughs> me in and we'll take down Jamie and John and you can just like operate both decks for us. Perfect. Sounds good. That sounds like it'd be faster anyway than if you were playing your deck. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just wrecked. Just straight wrecked. Alright, uh, well that's gonna do it for this week. Uh, next week we'll be looking to to dive deeper into the format. I'm really hungry for this Pro Tour to be coming out. We got one more week left before we get to talk about the Pro Tour. I really want to see how the pros draft this format. I know, me too. Me too. It feels like there's a lot of different opinions out there. And be interested to see how it shakes out on camera under all those lights. All right, thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. We've also got the Dominaria treasure hunt still going on. We've got, I think, 11 or 12 of those crossed off. Mm -hmm. Thanks again largely to the hard work of Generation D20 and lots of you out there. Uh, if you've got those screenshots, tweet at Lords of Limited and hashtag them with DOM treasure hunt. And if you're not on Twitter, feel free to email us screenshots at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with us, please check us out on Twitch and Twitter. Ben is back. He is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. I am around, as always, at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. We're both at Twitter under those same handles, at Lord Tupperware, at Mr. Metronome. And as Ben said, you can please tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or questions for us, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>